0: Hey there, my friend, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Struchowski podcast. Before we get into the podcast episode today, I want to invite you to head on over to my website, overwhelmsucks.com. Yes, you did hear that correctly overwhelmsucks.com. Pick up my free guide, 10 Quick Ways to Conquer Overwhelm. I know that when you're overwhelmed, the last thing you want to do is read a long report. So I intentionally made this free guide simple to read and most importantly, to implement. So get your free guide, 10 quick ways to conquer overwhelm at overwhelmsucks.com. On this episode of From the Archives, Ben Gay the Third. He has been called a living legend in the sales world. With his 40 plus years of professional selling and sales training, he's also been the number one salesperson in every organization in which he has ever worked. And he's a powerful speaker, sales trainer, and author to boot. This episode was originally released back on March 7th, 2019, and it is so good. I need to re-release it. So sit back, take notes, and most importantly, enjoy. Ben, thank you so much for being on the podcast today thank you for having me ski i'm looking forward to it well thank you for calling me ski so few people do and i i prefer the name ski so you're already you already got a a good two thumbs up for me today (laughs) happy to do it well uh, i will share this with our listeners that we talked a couple weeks ago about you being on the podcast and it was supposed to be i think a 10 or 15 minute conversation went into 45 minutes and it was a great conversation i said Ben, we got to save some of this for the podcast.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm a southerner, ski, so you always have to be careful what you ask us.
0: Uh, okay. Well, I'm glad I'll I'll make that note in my my book here. Let's start off. Well, before we get to the actual conversation, I found out something very interesting about Ben a couple weeks ago. He has. I've always heard of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Ben has actually met Napoleon Hill. So, you want to talk about that a little bit? Maybe tell tell them that that story you shared with me. I was sitting in my office
1: in, I believe, right near my birthday, August twenty-second, nineteen sixty-seven, when the owner of the company, technically my boss, William PenPatrick, arrived at my door unannounced with a little older gentleman. And I remember thinking, oh, God, I've got to form another company around some old friend of Bill's. (laughs) I I, I had done that numerous times. You know, here's my friend. He's got a motor oil additive. Build a company around him. Bill would walk off and leave me standing there. So I'm, I'm looking at this guy thinking, what could possibly be his thing? And I said, hi, I'm Ben Gay. And he said, I'm Napoleon Hill. Call me Nappy. (laughs) And and I said, I I can't do that. (laughs) It's not in me. I can't do that. So uh, I called him Dr. Hill from that day until the last time we talked right before he died. Bill uh, Patrick, William Penn Patrick, had retained Dr. Hill. To be my, we didn't call it a coach back then, but to be my coach, my mentor, whatever. And he said, Ben, I've retained Dr. Hill. He's going to work directly with you whenever you want him. You can fly him out. You can go back, talk on the phone, whatever. But here's the deal. I want you to be able to share with him without fear of losing your job any advice that you need or if you're scared or if you're whatever. And he said, so I hope you guys enjoy working together. I didn't know he'd already paid him $50,000 for an indeterminate amount of time. It turned out to be from that day until Dr. Hill died in 1970. And he became uh, probably the best way to describe it is my big brother, like in the big brother program, a friend of mine who's uh, building a program around my relationship with Dr. Hill said now did did he give you assignments to do and i <laughs> said no our relationship wasn't that way uh, our relationship was i had a guy who'd been down the trail into the dark forest several times and was willing to help me go down that same trail if i wanted to benefit from his experience and so on that happy note we went forward and it was quite a casual relationship when he was in California, he would stay at our house and when he was in the office, I had a big conference table that sat about twelve p It had been a conference room. I just pulled my chair in on the in the middle of the far side of it and made it my office. He would come in and he would sit to my left at the very end of the table, get out his briefcase or whatever he had, and he would just work. There were no lectures or anything. But during the day, I'd say, Well, Dr. Hill, what do you think about this? Or if somebody brought in packaging to approve, there were one vote you had to have was Marty Conley, my secretary executive assistant you had to have her vote but dr hill got an equal vote and the two of us uh, the three of us would decide on packaging issues and all sorts of things but mainly it was having uh my father was was my real first mentor. It was like having my dad at the end of the table without any of the father-son complications built into that. I could ask him as much as I wanted or as little as I wanted. The only thing we ever fought about, one was uh, the most famous saying, and think and grow rich, whatever the mind a man can conceive and believe it can achieve. And I said, unless he's crazy. And, you know. <laughs> and that that set off a of several luncheon long debates and we finally settled on it so so long as the goal is specific okay. and measurable and attainable so That settled that, and the issue that we never settled to the day he died was me calling him Nappy. I called him Dr. Hill. I could frame an entire conversation ski without around not using the word Nappy. I wasn't going to do that, and without saying Dr. Hill because that set him off every time. So I found all sorts of respectful ways to address him, preferably without his name but usually with Dr. Hill. But he was a great guy, just couldn't have been nicer. He was grandfatherly to my youngest boy, uh, my excuse me, my oldest boy, but he was very young at the time. Loved my wife
0: and was just a gracious gentleman. Wow. And when you told me that, I just, I got goosebumps because I've read Think and Grow Rich as most entrepreneurs and most people who have heard of the book have read it. And to to talk to someone like you who have actually known the man is incredible. So uh, thank you for sharing that story with us. I I really appreciate it. So let me ask you this question because I know that you get a lot of things done. And you have a great, successful life. Tell us about how you typically structure a day. Now, I don't want like you brush your teeth for two minutes, then you walk down the hallway. (laughs) Not that level, but just tell us how you typically structure a day.
1: Well, with thanks to Frank Backelman, my first boss at Macy's in Atlanta, when I was an assistant buyer in the linen department, he walked into this little cubicle we shared one day. I'd been there two or three days. And looked over at my desk, and he said, it like a bomb went off over there. How do you know? And he said, you don't have that much to do. I think he was questioning, where did I get all that paperwork? <laughs> <laughs> I had to borrow it from other assistant buyers. But he said, you can't operate that way. And he got out one of those calendars. You put it up at the top of your desk with the two big steel things in them, Little, you know, a little bitty thing. I couldn't operate out of one today, but at least it was a start. He said, you write down what you're supposed to do today, and then you do it. And then years later, when Earl Nightingale came to work for us and became my buddy and another of my mentors, he used to tell the story of Ivy Lee, the efficiency expert who called on Charles Schwab one day, sat in his office quietly for eight hours. And at the end of the day, Schwab said, well, what can I do to get better? And he said, write down the five most important things you have to do tomorrow, number them in the order of their importance, work on number one until it's done or until you reach an unbreakable delay, and then you go to number one number two, and then when the delay is broken, you go back to number one, and allegedly – Schwab sent him a check for twenty five thousand dollars. This is at the turn of the last century, and said it was the greatest lesson he ever learned. I'm assuming I haven't done the math, but I I suspect that's seven or eight hundred thousand dollars today. So he must have really benefited from the method. So I use, I I think, a refined method. I have a calendar, and I'm the old fashioned guy. Who my calendar looks like a hymnal. It's a a daily reminder. From at a glance. Each day has one full blank page on it to work with. Today is the 43rd day of the year, 322 days to go, and uh, Monday the 12th. And on it are those things I wrote. Talking to you right now is at the top of the list, highlighted in yellow, and I wrote that down the day you and I agreed to do this interview quite some time ago. So that's my working day-to-day calendar. In addition to that, I have printed out, probably a dozen at a time, a daily to-do list. I could write it in the calendar. I just don't want to write that over and over and over again, like clear emails, check bank balances you know, that type of thing. There's about 10 things I do every day, just routinely, almost as I glance at the calendar to see if there's anything pressing by the hour. If not, then I work my way through that 10 uh, step program. It's very easy, but it's the same things every day. I just want to make sure I don't forget to do one of them. And then with that out of the way, I go to the calendar. And the calendar has those things that are unique to today on it. I've got a couple, three notes here to call clients who phoned over the weekend, had something they wanted to talk about. When I get off this call, they'll be next. And uh, I just work my way through it. And then because I'm anal, I have a uh, – a, I write that in ink and then I highlight the ones that are hourly or really important so they pop out at me. And then I have – you remember those china markers where you pull the string down and uh, it uncovers uh, a crayon sort of in the middle of the marker? I do. It puts, yeah, it puts down a heavy black – if you if you get black, it puts down a heavy black mark. And I really enjoy the uh, sense of achievement of crossing everything out as I go. So I do that. And I, I stick to my system. And then there's things in there that I could easily let fall through the cracks. Once I start writing, I love to write. I hate to start writing. I will do anything to avoid you know, starting with a blank sheet of paper or blank screen and start writing. But if it's on the calendar, I can't avoid it. And I try and write at least an hour a day. If there's a special project, I do more. But the way I really measure it is I do one, a minimum. Sometimes the one turns into 20. I do at least one page of printable, ready to go to the publisher, copy. Every day. Now, some, uh, sometimes it's a sales letter for a client. Sometimes I'm ghostwriting a book. Sometimes I'm working on my next book. But the end result is that just that simple system, if you only do one page a day, and it's hard to do once you get rolling. But if you only do one page a day, it guarantees a book a year. And it actually turns into far more work than that. So even the, the ones that, you know, I don't say write uh, a page, I just say, it, on my calendar it says write and I I know what that means. And uh, follow-up calls go there. And I, I try to do them in the order of their importance. So he wasn't trying to teach me time organization when he told me. But one of my other mentors, I've been blessed with many, Ray Considine, now gone to his great reward, was sitting in my office one day. And I was showing him my little system. He says, oh, that's great. I really like that. I'm going to have to do more of that. But then he said, Ben, no matter what it says on the list – About 15, 20 times a day, stop and ask yourself, what is the most important thing I can be doing right now? And usually it'll be the thing you're writing on if you put your list together properly, but sometimes it won't be. So ask yourself, what's the most important thing I can be doing right now? So I've used that little check. So I go from Frank Backelman, uh, a buyer, I wouldn't know him if I fell over him today, but a buyer in in, uh, Macy's in Atlanta, to Earl Nightingale, to Ray Considine, and it works. And people are always asking me, as I'm sure they ask you, Ski, you know, what's the secret of success? How do you motivate yourself? I don't have to motivate myself. I work my way through the list whether I want to or not, whether I'm inspired or not, whether I feel like it or not, I just work my way through the list. And success I found is not, this is not new, but I found that success is not an event, it's a process. And the process comes from daily habits, pretty much.
0: Well, I will tell you this much no offense to my other guests, but this has been the easiest conversation I've ever had. I just asked the question, you just keep on talking. I'm sitting back and enjoying the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I warned you. <laughs> Ben, you're making southern. my you're making my
1: life so easy over here. <laughs> Never, I love to watch on television when there's an accident or something. Not, I don't love the accent, but there's an accident, something. It's anywhere in the South, the reporter, especially if it's a national reporter, not a local Southerner who understands it, goes over to some Southern witness and says, "What happened?" And the Southerner usually starts out, "Well, I got up this morning, I uh, put on my." purple slippers <laughs> and i went <laughs> and i thought you're a half half an hour away from the question you wanted
0: answered yes B- by the way have you ever seen the show the blacklist no okay. i've heard of it but i've never seen it there is the character i can't th- i'm jane spader plays a character i can't reddington this guy's reddington and his character is one of these people if you ask him a question he does exactly what you just said he'll say 1925. There was this guy, and it's like I just want to know where the bad guy is. And he goes all the way around, and it's, and that and you you made me think about that. So I do have a question for you though, because you just gave us a whole bunch of value. And folks, you can safely stop the podcast right now because you've gotten tons of value. But there's more coming. I can promise you that. And I can also tell you, and I'm going to tell you at the end of the podcast, you're going to have to listen to this again because you missed something. Ben, I really believe that everybody. No matter how productive they are, has at least one weakness when it comes to getting things done. What is your weakness?
1: Procrastination is, and the list saves me from that. But if uh, that's my inclination, I am I am lazy by nature. I mean, I've overcome a lot of this stuff. But you're asking me, you know, what were your stumbling blocks? I was lazy. I was voted witty- wittiest in my senior class in high school, and I believe that you could just get through life smiling and shaking hands and making the occasional joke. And with my name, I always have a good conversation opener. You know, hi, I'm Ben Gay, just like the back rub. Uh, Don't rub it in uh, and stuff like that. <laughs> so uh, the uh, uh, it, it's helped me get through. But I I am by nature lazy. I'm a news junkie. I could probably lie in bed and watch the news all day long, but I know that I have things I have to do by the hour and things I have to do. Period. So procrastination is a cute story. We were there's an area near where we live. We live in Placerville, California, Northern California, where gold was discovered, and there's a about. 10 miles up the road there's an area called apple hill where they grow apples and uh and in season they have everybody has a roadside stand and there's a couple of pretty big operations up there but mainly it's beautiful to drive through you're driving through orchards and everything and Gigi and i will occasionally do that on a sunday drive and then stop at one of two or three nice restaurants we like up there and one day in the middle of the day and in the middle of the week I said, come with me, and we went and got in the car and drove up through Apple Hill, and And she says, wow, what a special treat, and she said, I'm trying to remember, is it our anniversary, is it this, is it that, and she went through, I said, no, honey, I just love you, and know, I want to go driving through uh, Apple Hill with you without the Sunday crowds, and she all oh, that's so sweet, and there's a pause, and she says, aren't you supposed to start that new book today?
0: <laughs> she called you out <laughs> she called me out I was
1: taking her through apple hill to avoid starting to ghostwrite a new book she, oh. she said she said turn around go back to the office
0: <laughs> oh my goodness my wife would do the same exact thing if i'm procrastinating yep. boy i tell you what we would be lost with other spouses we would utterly be lost because I- you
1: know, dad always said, marry above yourself, and I did, and twice. Uh, my first wife is, has passed away, but I married above myself twice, and they both made me a lot of money by keeping me on track.
0: Awesome. Well, we you've shared with us your, not just one weakness, but several of your weaknesses. You probably have a whole list of strengths, so tell us about what you feel your biggest strength is.
1: Honesty, and I I came by that over time. I wasn't honest starting out. I was I was a little boy who was always up to something, so you had to lie to stay alive. Mother or dad would kill you if they'd known what I was really doing. And then when I got into business, I brought a little of that dishonesty or exaggeration along with me. One day, uh, Bill Patrick caught me. It, it wasn't a lie, but it wasn't exactly the truth, or it might have even been an omission. I don't remember the exact thing, but he said to me, Ben, When all else fails, try the absolute truth. And I thought, well, A, I've been caught. And B, that's pretty good advice. (laughs) So from that moment on, I was getting better. But from that moment on, I've tried to maintain my honesty. uh, A step beyond honesty is integrity. I I don't allow my integrity to be infringed on by anybody, any situation, any time. And then... I'm very proud of my loyalty. I have stood with people who uh, everybody else had turned away from, but they were my buddy and my friend, and I was with them in good times, so I've been with them in bad times. And they've returned, most of them have returned the favor. So, you know, what you hand out comes back. But I would say honesty, integrity, and loyalty are the things I'm most proud
0: of. Judge Judy often says, if you tell the truth, you don't have to have a good memory. I love that quote.
1: Uh, ski, I have a memo pad, you know, those little spiral things got the yes. spiral at the top you put in your pocket. Yes. Okay. I have one in my pocket as we speak that I, and a pen in the other pocket that I use to write down ideas as they come to me. I started carrying that memo pad back in 1965 when I got involved in um, MLM and some serious money was flying around. And I had the pad to write down what I said so I'd remember it the next time. So it's become an idea pad. It used to be a keep your story straight pad, and you're so (laughs) right. I haven't had to make a note in years. In fact, I love it. Not only do I tell the truth, I work – if it's a business-related thing, I work off scripts. In other words, if I explain – tell you a story or explain a product, I say exactly the same thing as I said probably 400 times before. To the point that when a person says to me, well, when, when we first talked, you said blah, 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 and I say, no, I didn't. And they said, well, do you remember the conversation? I said, no, I don't have to remember the conversation. I don't even remember you. What I do know is if you ask me that question 20 years ago, 25 years ago, yesterday, here is exactly what I said to you. And then I give them the honest truth in a scripted format.
0: Very interesting. I'm, I'm writing a note here because I just, I just created a video I put on LinkedIn today about being a chameleon. And a chameleon, obviously, to protect itself, will keep changing colors to, to, uh, to blend in with its environment. But as humans, I would suggest that you're not a chameleon. You're the same person at the store as on the beach at Disney World in the car. And I'd like to know your thoughts about that. Do you think we should not be chameleons as human beings?
1: Well, there's, you know, like everything, I, I've as I've gotten older, I've gotten away from always and never and things like that. But there's a certain I, I'm who I am. All the time. We have a, a homeless care. We have several, unfortunately, homeless people in California, in uh, Placerville, California. I treat him with the same respect. I treated later President Reagan, Governor Reagan, when I met him, when he visited our offices. It's exactly the same. There is no difference between them. I was standing outside of a hotel in town waiting for a friend, a telephone friend. I'd never met him to come up. He sells incentive jewelry, makes the Super Bowl rings, for instance. And he came walking across the street and I was talking to what appeared to be a homeless guy and he had on a suit and tie, my friend, and I said Stan, how are you? And he said, how do you know was me, and I said, Well, look around you. You're in Blastville, California. You're the only one in a suit and tie. So that's how, come, that's how come I know you. So then we turned to go into the restaurant and I turned back to this homeless guy and hugged him. And I said, you stay, stay well. He says, I will, Ben. I love him." And he walked away. We get inside. Stan is a, a Mormon. That's not terribly important to the story, but he's, he's a good guy. And he had tears in his eyes. And he said, I can't believe you treated that homeless guy that way. And I said, well, I love him for a couple of reasons one he's a human being and two that's my brother-in-law <laughs> so wow our brother my brother-in-law he's gone now was one of the lovable everybody loved him town drunks So from the town drunk to Governor Reagan to uh, kings and queens I've met around the world, you treat them all the same. I was in Charlie Manson's cell three different times when he was at San Quentin, and I was teaching there. I spent about nine hours with him, and I treated him with respect. I mean, he was a despicable human being and crazy, but I treated him with respect, and he treated me with respect. And we had about nine hours of conversation that was rather remarkable. But I didn't go in, you know, with a ch- pull a chair outside his cell, afraid of him and talk to him through the bars. I insisted on being let in his cell and sat down and spent time with him. So uh, I was attitude coach to the astronauts. I didn't treat for three of the shuttle flights, Apollo, uh, excuse me, Apollo flights, uh, 15, 16, and 17. I treated them no differently than the inmates in my class at San Quentin. And I just find it's an easy way to do. Until you give me reason to despise you or fear you maybe – I've had that a few times in my life – we start out on an even playing field. As a result, Sally Stanford, the famous madam of San Francisco who was later mayor of Sausalito, was a dear friend of mine. Charlie Manson wasn't a dear friend, but he was an acquaintance and we knew a lot about each other and the astronauts and everybody in between – treat them all the same.
0: Mm. I'm, just, I'm over here thinking that if everybody adapted, adopted your the way you do things, respecting everybody, I can't imagine the different culture we have in not just this country, but the world.
1: Absolutely. It goes from the world at that end all the way down to getting good service in a restaurant. Mm. And and everything in between. Uh, people say, friends of ours are always saying, you've been so lucky. He, he gets the best parking place right in front of the restaurant when there are no parking places. My secret ski is I go up and look. I don't assume the parking space is filled. I go up and look. I don't assume that the the uh, hostess or the host is going to treat us well. I make sure they treat us well, and I kid with the waitress and so on, and uh, so we go – the way I explained it to Gigi when we first got together 22 years ago now, hard to believe, but uh, when we first got together, I said, honey, they're – there are two types of people in life. They're the people who glide through life and they're people who bump through life. Mm. I I prefer to glide. I go ahead and I uh, I handle things in advance. We will be sitting at 4.30 on Valentine's Day at table 27, our favorite table in the window at the Independent, a nice restaurant here in town. It's a tall, you know, two-top, tall table. And I get to show Gigi off that way. Well, when I called, I thought, God, I'm calling two weeks in advance. So this, this will be simple. I won't have to pull any IOUs. And I, <laughs> lovely lady answered the phone and she, she said, do you want table 27? I said, yep. What time? She said, well, you know, I said, late lunch, early dinner. You know how we are. 4.30 would be wonderful. And she said, I've got somebody on that table at 4.30. Hang on one second. She came back. She said, they've been moved. Wow. So, but it's because I've tre her name's Sarah, I've treated Sarah well every time I've been with her. And I'm not a over-stupid tipper, but I tip generously. I'll give bad service a 20% tip, but we hardly ever get bad service because that's what we do. I pave the road in front of us. The people you're talking about, the negative side of that equation, I, I say they they get up every morning looking for trouble. And by about 1030 in the morning, they've usually found it. Mm. No. Why live that way?
0: I, I agree hundred percent. Now I'm I'm sitting over here, even though we had this conversation a couple weeks ago, I'm getting so warm fuzzies all over my body. I'm like, you know what? I gotta be more like Ben because you're a rock star, man. I mean, I I will freely admit this is a you know, I don't hide anything on this podcast, as my listeners know. Sometimes I do stupid things and my wife rolls her eyes, but I got to be more like Ben Gabe. <laughs> folks, if you're thinking, go, wait a minute. I thought this was about productivity. If that's the question in your mind, you're missing the entire point. And so, yeah, we're we're talking about Napoleon Hill and their old nightingale and being nice to people. But folks, if you look at the big picture, it all ties back into productivity. Would you agree, Ben? Absolutely. I don't waste as much time
1: in my life by by treating people properly. I don't waste as much time in my life trying to get them to do things. They're running ahead of me trying to do things for me. We've seen squabble. I'm using the restaurant analogy because everybody eats in a restaurant probably at least once a day or four times a week or something, it's something everybody can easily understand. When we walk into restaurants where we've been before, you see the little shuffle between the waiters arguing about who gets our table. Yeah. Because if they get our table, they get to laugh a lot. I kid with them. I kid with them. They get. They make more money. We follow their recommendations. Had dinner last night at a place we've been a thousand times. But they know the type of wine Gigi likes. And they said we have a, a recommendation for you. You know, could I pour you this and let you taste? It? And I said, do you think it's good? Yep. You know what Gigi likes? Yep. Then just bring it. Bring us a bottle and open it. We don't need to taste anything. Mm. And then our our recommendation tonight is the whatever pizza. And it was a small you know, gourmet, but a a small pizza. They know we like to share things. And I said, that'll be good. And you could just see the glow in him. He made two recommendations. I took them both. Therefore, the next time we're in there, we'd have him before, but the next time we're in there, He will only recommend the very best of things. Sometimes things aren't being offered to anybody else because we're appreciative, and we tell him we're appreciative, and we tip properly, and we treat him like family. In that little restaurant last night, these are young men primarily that are the servers. I'm guessing the oldest was 30, and most were in their 20s. Three of them hugged Gigi as they sat her At the table, I didn't have to pull out her chair. Wow! They they sat her, they hugged her, and I just glowed. But it was not by accident. they they didn't hug anybody else. We sat there an hour and a half. They didn't hug anybody else that came in. They didn't pull out anybody else's chair. So it's the way you treat them.
0: just makes life so much easier. Got overwhelmed? Then you need to get my free guide, 10 Quick Ways to Conquer Overwhelm. This free guide will help you quickly deal with overwhelm so you can get back to making the impact you've dreamed of. Get your copy for free at overwhelmsucks.com. I agree a hundred percent, but here, here's what I want to do. I want, I want to go on a little road trip with you. I want to imagine, you'd imagine I've got this super duper time machine and we're going to take a journey all the way back to, let's say between 10 and 12 years old. We're talking you, not me, cause I act 10 mm-hmm. to 12 every day. Um, <laughs> as, my, as my wife says, boys, uh, boys will be boys and so will men, but that has nothing to do with the podcast. <laughs> right. So what do you know today? At your current age, which we won't reveal unless you want to, that you wish 75. Wow. You don't look 75. What do you know now that you wish you knew when you were 10, 11, 12 years old? What, what, if you can go back in time and say, Hey, younger Ben, here's something you might want to start doing or stop doing now to, it may change the trajectory of your life. Anything come to mind? Sure. And some of it we've already discussed, honesty, integrity,
1: etc. And I wouldn't want to wipe out my childhood. I had a, a fun childhood, but whether it's 10, 12, or 18, or whatever, I would have gotten serious sooner. I was raised around my dad wasn't wealthy wealthy, but we had money and we belonged. We lived two blocks out the front gate of East Lake Country Club, Bobby Jones old course in Atlanta. The place to belong, I think still, but certainly in those days everybody with anybody was a member, chairman of the board of Coke, chairman of the board of you know, Home Depot. Anybody who had a, a major office or the main office in Atlanta belonged to East Lake. So I grew up around success and I just thought that's the way it, it was for everybody. I didn't think about get a good education. You know, I knew the chairman of the board of Coke, and he treated my uh, treated me like a nice guy and uh, almost an equal, even though I was kid, so I thought. Well, I know the chairman of the board of Coke. I'm done. I'm set. And then I was elected wittiest in my fresh in my senior class uh, in high school. So you just shake hands, keep your shoes shine, and you move through life, and everything's a lark and a joke. I would have gotten much serious much sooner. I didn't. Uh, I had a a business when I was 14, a lawn mowing business, but it wasn't just me. I had 20, 25 kids working for me in the growing season. So I knew about business and hard work and all, but what kept me on track there was our customers all lived within a few blocks of my house. And if we had done a bad job or overcharged or whatever, it would have been back at the dinner table at my house that night. We ate at at seven. So by seven... (laughs) I would have heard about it. That was a, society was different back then. It wasn't until 1965, September 15th, 1965, a Wednesday, that I joined a uh, what was to become the largest MLM direct sales company in the world at the time. And another young man joined that same day. His name was Zig Ziglar. He was 18 years older than I was, but he'd never had a big hit either yet. And so we joined, started out in this company together, and I was Ben Gay. Lying along, laughing, giggling and so on, but not much was happening. One day I walk into the meeting uh, that night and Bill Dempsey, the guy who brought me in the business, stopped me at the door and he said, Ben, let me talk to you for a second. I came over and he said, I don't want you coming to the meetings anymore. Well, I had 5,000 between me, my running buddy Jimmy Rucker and another gentleman. We had $5,000 invested that's like $50,000 today. I couldn't afford to lose 5,000. I said, "What do you mean uh that uh, I can't come back?" And he says, "Well, you're depressing people. You haven't you don't bring anybody to the meetings cuz you won't learn the scripts." for inviting them. When they get here, you're of no help in the meeting because you can't give the meeting from the front of the room because you haven't memorized the script. And when the meeting's over, you don't have anybody to talk to. The, the film says, turn to the person who brought you here and ask how you can get started in Holiday Magic. You have nobody to turn to, but because you're here all the time, other people think you're doing well, so they call you over to talk to their prospects. And because you don't know the closing scripts, you blow them out. So, not only are you not making any money, you're costing other people money. And frankly, you're depressing. And no one ever talked to me like that before. <laughs> I said, Bill, are you kidding? You know, I'm Ben Gay. I laugh. Everybody laughs. You know, we're all having a good time. He, I, he said, I said, All right, what can I do? And he said, You can learn the scripts. I don't want to see you again until you can stand in front of my desk, give me the recruitment script. Then stand there and give me the – I think it was – the the meeting ran an hour and 17 minutes, so that was a film, so 43-minute script, word for word, no ahs, no pauses, nothing. The script, so you can give the meetings from the front of the room, and then when it says turn to the person who brought you here, as you know, we he ha- you, uh, you said maybe you don't know, but we have six scripts. <laughs> one, you say this, and if they pick anything, fine, you're done for the moment. And then part two, if they didn't buy on part one, and so on. So you got to do all six scripts. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great life. Shook my hand, patted me on the back, and sort of gently shoved me to the door. <laughs> Of the Georgian Terrace Hotel in Atlanta. And I was heartbroken. I was scared. A lot of money was about to go down the toilet. So I uh, went to work. And I'm making up dates because I really don't remember. But about 10 days later, I called Dempsey and I said, I'm ready to do it. So I went into his office, I gave him the recruiting script, I gave him the opportunity meeting script, I gave him the six closes, and he said, super, now go do that and you'll be bringing people to the meetings and probably closing them. And once you're at the front of the room, you'll close even more because everybody wants to associate with a guy with a microphone. He called it the power of the microphone. I have since learned it's an awesome power if used properly. So a couple nights later, I guess it was, I walk in with five or six prospects, which was five or six more than I. I had had in the previous six months, and I didn't do the meeting that night, but whoever did, did a good job. The film said, turn to the person who brought you here. I turned to them, started drawing circles on the pad like you do when you're an MLM, and I believe I could could pass a lie detector test that they all joined for $2,500 a piece. I think it was probably four that night, and one had to make some financial arrangements, but I got five out of five. And I made more money it, watching a meeting and doing that script than I made at any other time in my life in a single day. In today's money, I made about $25,000 in less than 60 minutes, mm. and I was hooked. So I, have, I became a scripting fanatic. Your original question is what would you do differently, and I'm, all that's part of the answer. I would get serious much sooner don't want to wipe out the laughing and giggling and running around and chasing girls and drinking beer and all the things i used to do but meanwhile back at the ranch i'd have been real serious real quick uh, ski in the first six months we were in th- that business we didn't make any money at all and i don't mean profit not a dime changed hands not even my mother and sister bought a tube of lipstick from it. you thought they'd have Bought something. I, don't, I guess I didn't ask him. In the next six months, we made $101,000 part time. That's a million dollar, a million one, $1 hundred thousand today's money. Part time. I was still working for my father and probably would still be, but he, on my birthday, I have good luck with my birthdays. He called us into the office, Jimmy Rucker and me, and he said, uh, Ben, you know, we're having a birthday party at the house tonight. Want you to uh, be there, of course. Uh, Since it's your birthday and but I want to give you your present early and I said super and he knew what we had been doing and he said Jimmy you two are sewn together at the hip I'm gonna give you your present several months early do you mind Jimmy said oh no sir he says good you're both fired (laughs) I said what he said it's time to fly so go fly and be don't be late. Dinner's at (laughs) 7. But that was just getting serious, finally understanding this was a serious opportunity. And two years later, getting serious, I'd been brought to California to be president of the company, uh, which gave me the – I hate to name drop. Actually, I enjoy it, but but I uh, (laughs) – Gave me the right to say, as president of the company, Zig Ziglar worked for me, Earl Nightingale worked for me, Doctor uh, Napoleon Hill worked for me, J. Douglas Edwards, the great sales trainer, worked for me, because I got serious and instantly it seemed. I mean, I, I you know, one minute I'm giving meetings in front of a hundred people in Atlanta, next minute I'm speaking to fifteen thousand people in the Long Beach Arena as president of the company.
0: You know, talking, listening to you because i i didn't do a lot of talking in this podcast episode but that's okay listening to you ben it's like listening like drinking from a fire hose you you are so good at your sharing your stories you are so good at your your attitude is phenomenal i really got to i really got to uh, absorb some of your attitude cuz i i got to change some attitude on my side and it's just so overwhelming and i just want my listeners just take a a quick second here Listen, just if you're going to do something, if you're going to get one nugget from what Ben's talking about here, don't try to do everything. Just pick one thing, whatever that is from everything he shared with you today. Just pick one thing and then get really good at that and then pick something else. So don't go, oh, my goodness, there's so much to do. I got to do this, that and the other thing. No, just pick one thing, whatever resonates with you. It doesn't matter. And get really good at it because I don't care what you pick. You're going to be. Uh, Much better person just from listening to this interview. So, Ben, you have been so gracious with your time and your value. Where can we find you online? Well, you can just Google Ben
1: Gay the Third and all sorts of stuff will come up. My website is B. F-G-3, that's B is in Ben, F is in Frank, G is in Gay, the numeral 3.com. And if they're interested in any of my closers material, we have a, a, a site on eBay where they're sold at a discount. I'll tell you a quick short story about that. But where you go to find the closers series is stores.ebay.com/.com. Ronzoni Books, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E Books, all one word, of course. And there is my material discounted. Here's the reason it's discounted, Ski. It's, it sells for less there, signed, dated, and shipped for free than it does on my own website because Ronzoni is my wife's maiden name and she doesn't have that nasty thing to deal with called product cost. She just goes into the warehouse,
0: steals what she needs, and puts it up on, puts it up on eBay. <laughs> so, oh, my goodness. You're hysterical. So, you are hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> so get it before they lock her out of the warehouse. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You know, I could talk to you all day, but, you know, I've got things to do. You've got things to do. Listeners, I hope you really take the time to re-listen to this episode. There is just so much value value here. And most importantly, I hope you catch the Ben Gay the Third fever of respecting. That's the thing I got out of this whole entire talk today, Ben, is respect everyone, regardless of who they are, what they look like, what they believe in, how much money they make or don't make. If they're poor if they're wealthy. Treat everyone with respect. I That's what I got out of it. I really hope my listeners got at least that much out of it because you are such a delight to listen to talk. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Ski. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski podcast. I really appreciate your time and attention. Before you go, I'd like to ask you for a favor. If you have not subscribed to this podcast in your podcast player of choice, would you do that right now? This way, every time a new episode comes out, you will be informed. Second thing is, while you are subscribing, please consider leading a rating and a review, this helps the podcast get discovered. And the third thing, I know I'm asking a lot of you. The third thing is, if you know of someone who can use this episode right now, why don't you just share it with them? Every podcast player that I'm aware of makes it really easy to share an episode. So if you're thinking of a family, a colleague, a neighbor, a friend who needs to hear this episode, go ahead and hit that share button and send this podcast to them right away so I can help help them like I helped you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back real soon with a brand new episode.